higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So as far as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. Isaiah, amen. That's Bible. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 17. That's where Brother Williams uh, had us here just a moment ago. <clears throat> We're going to look at it again here in just a moment. The message today is a topic that I was taught very much in college. Over and over and over and over again, I was, it was discussed and talked about. After college, I was with uh, another man of God as his assistant, and uh, him being my pastor and mentor, and he would often talk to me about this topic. He would preach about it. He would talk about it. He would discuss it with me. I'm an, I, I try to be observant, and I would watch other people, the way that they were making decisions and the way they were raising their children and raising their families for the Lord. And I noticed what I'm going to talk about today in great detail as I watch people. I'm trying, very, uh, trying with uh, all that the Lord allows me to implement this thought into the church here as I implement it also in my own family. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to use an Old Testament example today and allow us to develop this thought. Say, well, Pastor John, what is it? Well, just hang on. You've got to wait. <laughs> You've got to figure it out in just a minute. All right, good. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. And uh, notice here, as, he, as Brother Williams was reading the text, he said that God said that when you get into the land that I've promised you, eventually you're going to make for yourself a king. It's going to happen. Now we remember that what under the days of Samuel, and the people were calling for a king because they wanted to be like every other nation all around them. Samuel was a little bit upset with that, and God said, Samuel, you just leave that be. It's against me, not against you. And Samuel, with the direction of the Lord, gave a king to Israel. And he says here in chapter 17 that there's some things that a king ought not to do. Did you catch that when we're reading the text? Notice in verse 16 it says, But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that they should multiply horses. Why didn't God want the people to go back to Egypt? Because that's a picture of the world. He just saved them out of the world. He didn't want them to return to it. Just like when Abraham uh, came out of his father's house, God had called him to a new place. And he says, he told his servant, he said, you don't take Isaac back there. This is where God has called us. I don't want his heart to be taken away back to another place. God's saying here, I don't want you to multiply horses and one place you'll get horses from is Egypt. Don't send anybody back there, even to get horses. Secondly, he says here, in verse number 17, he says, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. God said, what, what does a man need a bunch of wives for? Certainly the king. Did God create Adam and give him a bunch of women? No, He gave him one. He gave him one. And God's saying, make sure your king does right. Make sure your king does right. Notice at the end of verse 17, He says, Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself what? 
Silver and gold. Silver and gold. We see here in Deuteronomy, this is Moses giving his, uh, his last address here on the, on the far side of Jordan. They're about to cross it. And God is going to take Moses up on the mountain before this happens and make Joshua the new, uh, the new uh, leader there and, and the new uh, man that they would follow. And he's, he's, Deuteronomy is all about Moses giving really his last words. And he's reviewing some of the law with the people. And here he says, God said, I don't want your king to multiply horses. I don't want your king to multiply wives. And I don't want your king to multiply silver and gold. Now go with me, if you would, please, to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. Now we can think of, but many of us Bible students and people that have uh, our custom and, and, and read the Old Testament, we have several kings coming to our mind that, man, that king didn't, man, he broke all three, or that king broke that one, or this one did this, or whatever. And uh, oftentimes, when we think about wives, we always think about Solomon. Well, let's go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 10, and we'll look at Solomon for a moment. Let's do a checkup on him. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26, please. Verse 26. The Bible says here, And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand and four hundred chariots. That's a lot. And twelve thousand horsemen, whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. When I was, Brother Gillen, when I was over there... 2011, I saw a city that was built, or the remains of it, uh, the ruins of it, of, of a city that was built for the whole purpose of stables. It was built for the purpose of housing chariots and horses and horsemen. That was the whole reason that the city existed. And it was built under the days of Solomon. Now, why would you need 1,400 chariots and, and 12,000 horsemen? Probably because you have some horses. Right? Look at verse 28. And Solomon had horses brought where? From where? Out of Egypt. And linen yarn, the king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. So Solomon has brought horses out of Egypt. Somebody had to go down there and get them. He brought them out of Egypt and he multiplied horses to himself. But this is Solomon. He's a pretty good guy. And, uh, you know, one out of three is not so bad, right? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Look at um, chapter 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women. What does that mean? Does that mean they were dressed funny? It was like Halloween? Does that mean that there was, they were cuckoo? They were crazy? Uh, they were nuts? What's that mean? Strange means foreigners. It means not of not of uh, of Jewish background. He was remember David. David really expanded the kingdom, but he expanded it with his might and his power. He he was a man of war. Solomon did even more, but he did it through peace. He did it by marrying a king's daughter. Well, he's not going to attack me if I'm if his daughter's my wife. And he expanded his kingdom through marriage and peace. Solomon here has multiplied to himself. Horses, horses out of Egypt and women 
from other nations all around him. But two out of three, let's keep reading. Let's go back to chapter 10. Let's go back to chapter 10 here. Look at verse 27. We read 26 and 28. Let's look at 27. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as what? As stones. There's a lot of stones in Jerusalem. Palestine, Israel area, all of that, that Middle East, very rocky. Mountainous regions, very rocky. Okay? And here, he made silver as as much as would be stones around that area. So here's a man who has multiplied to himself horses out of Egypt, women, strange women at that, and he's multiplied money to himself, gold and silver. Uh, Verse number 14. I'm going to skip back there for a moment because it only mentions silver so far. In verse 14, notice this. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. Now, I knew that he multiplied gold, but when I began to read that number, I was just scratching my head a little bit. Isn't it interesting that it was 666? Now, what's a talent of gold? It used to be five, ten years ago that a talent was $30,000, roughly. I don't know what it would be today. Okay, but if you consider, if you want to do that math, uh, 666 times 30,000, that's a lot of money in gold. That's a lot of money in gold. So, so silver was as the stones, and gold was just heaps of it. And we know that he used that to build many of his structures, and of course the temple and all of that. But here's three out of three things that God said, Solomon, uh, a king is not to do this, and Solomon did all three. He struck out. But wait a minute. Help me, church. Wasn't Solomon the wisest man ever to live? Didn't the Bible say that? He went to God on his early days and he prayed and he said, Lord, I don't even know how to go out or to come in and I need wisdom. And God said, man, this is a great request. You could have asked for all these other things, but instead you asked for wisdom. I'm going to give you that and I'm going to give you so much more. And God said, I'm going to make you wise that even those that come after you won't be as wise as you. And he promised him that. And so from, from Solomon, we get the book of Proverbs. A lot of this wisdom that he wrote down. And uh, we have it even today. But who did Solomon write the book of Proverbs to? He wrote it to his son. If you look in the book of Proverbs, he says, My son, my son, give me thine heart. Didn't he? He wrote it to his son. Now God took it and used that for, for us and gave, made it part of Scripture. And praise the Lord for it. I love the book of Proverbs. Many of you do as well. And Solomon has written Proverbs to his son. And what son was that? That was the son Rehoboam. The son that would become king after him. Okay, But what happened to this son? We're in 1 Kings 10. Let's go to 11. Let's go to chapter 11. Look at the last verse of chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 43. The Bible says, And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. So here's Rehoboam. He becomes king in Solomon's stead. And if you know your Bibles, you know 
that his kingdom didn't last very long. At least uh, the size of his kingdom that his daddy gave to him didn't last very long, did it? Do you remember what happened? Solomon, or excuse me, Rehoboam is taking the kingdom and, the, and, and he's coming to really show himself as king before the people. And the people have come out from their places and meeting together. And uh, the representatives, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't every single person, but there was a lot of people there. And uh, they've come out to meet with Solomon and, and they, they say, King, we're going to follow you and we'll love you and we'll do all this, but help us, please. They say, Remember this? He says, he says, Rehoboam, don't make us work with such um, intensity that your father made us. He was, he was heavy upon us. And all we did was work and, and everything was expanded. But what we're asking is, would you just lighten the load a little bit? And so he says, uh, well, let me, let me go thinking about that. And I'm going to get some counsel. I'll come back to you. Remember, he went and sought after the old men, the men that would have known his father's days and the wise men. And they said, you listen to him. You, you heed what your people are asking. You gain their hearts and their trust. And they'll love you and they'll serve you. But what did the young men say? No way, you're king. You take that seat and you do whatever you want because it's your kingdom. This is your time. And he followed the wisdom of the, his peers, of the young men, of the, fo- of the foolish crowd. And what happened? He followed that. He told those people and they said, fine. If that's how it's going to be, we're out of here. We're out of here. And his kingdom, I used to say, was split in two. It really wasn't. It was one out of 12, really, is what it, really what it was. Ten tribes went to the north. And, of course, Judah stayed with the king. And uh, the Levites, they didn't really have any ground, any property. They were spread throughout the tribes there. And so Judah remained with, uh, with the king only. And he lost his kingdom. Now, isn't it something here that we're talking about the wisest man ever to live, that he wrote the book of Proverbs, that people came from afar to see him, to hear from him, to uh, uh, the queen of Sheba came and said, I want to just know if this is true or not. I've heard about your glory. I've heard about your majesty. I've heard about your wisdom. I want to see if it's really true. And yet his son, right away, day one, if I can say it that way, right, right away in his kingdom, the kingdom is destroyed from him and his line. Okay, The ten tribes go north. They create what uh, is called the northern kingdom. They retain the, the name of Israel. And what King Rehoboam is left with is Judah. Very much so less than what his father had. Now notice with me, go to chapter 14, please. Chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14 and look at verse 21, please. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. This is 1 Kings 14, 21. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus. And Judah did evil. In the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. 
And there were also sodomites in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations with the, which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. In 2 Chronicles 12, the Bible says that Rehoboam strengthened himself. And uh, when he did that, he departed from the Lord. Now, again, how can this be? How can this be that Solomon's son? I mean, we're just talking about Solomon. I mean, everybody knows Solomon. And everybody of his day knew him. He was the man. And everybody came to see him. How can it be that his son lost the kingdom, for the most part, and then led them so far away from the Lord and really became a loser in the, in the history of the kings? How can that be? What happened? Did, did, did daddy not teach him? Did, did he not really get a copy of that book of Proverbs? What was the case here? Really, the truth of it is, folks, is that Solomon did not live a consistent life. What are you saying, preacher? What are you saying? I'm saying his walk didn't match his talk. His walk didn't match his talk. He had a lot of good things to say. He was pretty wise and he wrote a lot of them down. I was studying a little bit more about Solomon. And the Bible says that he put together so many Proverbs. I, I believe it's in, uh, uh, in 1 Kings here. It says how many Proverbs he put together. And he wrote a thousand and five songs. He searched after wisdom and, and did much learning. We've been in the Ecclesiastes on Wednesday night. And we've been learning about how he sought after such wisdom. And yet, his walk didn't match his talk. His life didn't back up what he, taught, what he wrote down and taught his son. Here's where I'm getting at. Here's my message for today. Here's what I was taught. Here's what I was shown. It was grounded in my head. And as I've observed people and I've observed uh, folks and how they raise their families and what they do, here it is. Inconsistency does not produce consistency. Let me say that again. Inconsistency does not produce consistency. What, what are you saying, Pastor John? I'm saying that we live a certain way and we create an image at church and uh, in front of people and then our children see the real us. And inconsistency does not produce consistency. Why is it that we see there's such a, there's, there's such a, a turning away from the Lord when, when, when young people are, are graduating from Christian school? Why is it that, that we see the next generation is just not, is not following after mom and dad? Does everybody have a choice? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I have a choice today and so do you. And you have seen many people fall that were your authorities in times past, whether it be uh, parents and grandparents or teachers or pastors or what the case is, everybody has their own choice. But when we're talking about this, we're talking about teaching and, and training. Everybody has influence on somebody. And inconsistency does not produce consistency. It doesn't. 
As I said, everybody has a choice. Everybody has to make it for themselves. I'm not saved. I'm not saved because my grandma was saved. I'm not saved because uh, people took me to church when I was a kid. I'm saved because I had to make the choice for myself. We know that. And by the grace of God, there are people in here that are first-time Christians. Uh, I mean, first-generation Christians is what I was trying to say there. First-generation, there's some of you that uh, maybe you saw people before you go astray, and you said, no, I'm going to do right by God. There have been kings in the Old Testament like that. Think of Josiah and others that said, no, we're going to follow God. I don't care what came before us. I know what's right, and I know the law. And God has taught me and we're going to do right. Praise God for that. Can I tell you, that is not common. And you know it. That's not common. And my Bible says I'm supposed to teach and train my children in the way that's right. When they're old, they shall not depart from it. But I know that my actions... I know that my lifestyle, I know that my choices at home shout so much louder than anything I ever say from the pulpit. And you know it too. Doesn't matter what we look like on Sunday morning, doesn't matter what we say amen about, our, our life at home shouts so much louder to those we have an influence on than anything else we do. Anything we say. Inconsistency does not produce consistency. But here's it, here it is. We have a choice. Brother Summers, aren't you glad we have a choice? Praise the Lord for that. Aren't you glad we aren't, we aren't a robot? That God didn't say, this is how you're going to do it, like this. I have a choice. I can, I can, I'm free. I'm free in Christ and I'm free in America, praise God. I'm going to keep fighting for it, Amen. But are we thinking about those who are coming after us? Pastor John, I don't have any children. But you have an influence on somebody. Pastor John, I don't have any grandchildren. But you have an influence on somebody. Everybody influences somebody. Even Marshall, the youngest in my house, little knucklehead that he is, four years old, Crazy. Some of you know you deal with them on a regular basis. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. But even he has influence. Take a little DJ over there. Poor DJ. Got to put up with Marshall. Mom and dad are trying to teach him this thing, and Marshall comes through and has influence. The preacher's kid. Right? You with me? Folks, I'm trying to drive home a point that what are we doing? Lord, help me to be consistent. Help me to be faithful to the things that you have told me in your word that this is the way, this is what's right, this is what I need. God said, walk ye therein. Seek ye out the old paths and walk therein. Yes? Lord, help me to be consistent to that so that I teach my kids, my grandkids. As a pastor, think about how many people I have influence on. And I might make a decision 
that, that is okay within the, the Word of God or maybe is right on the line for this church. But I better be thinking about those that are coming behind us, the next generation, because they might take it even a step farther. You know naturally in, in, in the course of human history that children and the next generation naturally go farther away. They farther to the left, farther, uh, farther away from what is right and what is true. It's our human nature. We're sinners. We know that. It's only by the grace of God and by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God working in a life that that doesn't happen. But here I am. Lately, we've been, we've been on Sunday nights, we've been talking about uh, uh, what the Bible has to say on these specific issues. We dealt with alcohol. We dealt with music. And uh, what if I drew a line right here? Brother Williams drew a line over there, but I drew it right here. And, and it's a little bit looser than his line. Where are my kids when they come up and they're making their decision? And they say, well, Daddy drew it here, though everybody else drew it there. So I think it's okay. I'll just draw, draw mine right here. You with me? That happens and that's real. What we do, you look at uh, another man right along this time by the name of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was that man that took those ten tribes to the north. Okay? And he opened the door just a little bit for the northern kingdom. And the next generation came through and kicked that door wide open. Just kicked it wide open. What did he do? He set up golden calves in two places in northern Israel. Remember that? That wasn't false gods. It was an image of Jehovah. A a calf meant strength. And uh, he said, you don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. You just need to come right here and you can worship God right here. And that was not God's way. He said, you should not make a graven image. Doesn't matter if it was some God or if it was about me. God cannot, the God of the universe cannot fit into a little image. That's why he said, don't you make a graven image. And Jeroboam made two of them. And he he said, you can worship out of convenience. The next generation, they were worshiping idols. False gods. Because our children take it farther than where what we do. Inconsistency does not produce consistency. As I, as I watch people and as I, I look at choices they make, and, and uh, praise God when I was a teenager watching some men in the church through some difficult times in the church make some good, right, solid decisions, and it had a great influence on me. Church was about to have a split, and there was a, there was a man in the church went right to the person that was in, overseeing that, somebody that was on staff, and he said, you shut this down right now because this ain't for the glory of God. And he took a stand and he was strong about that. And I saw that man and I said, man, I want to be like that. I want to be, have, be like somebody who has, got, has the guts to stand up for the sake of God and the sake of righteousness and not let the devil come in and split a church. But then there's been other people in my life. I'm talking about authorities. Uh, there was a pastor or, or this guy or that guy who preached this thing for so many years. How, uh, I mean, people, if you get a divorce, you get remarried, and it was all, and it was just almost like you were shunned. It was was such a a terrible thing, and he put uh, such a disgrace upon that, and today he's divorced and remarried. And we see our leadership fail and fall and turn from what they taught and what is right. 
And it's easy for us to follow right in that, right in that path. Moms and dads, I've watched young mothers and young fathers as they raise their children begin to allow God to take second place to things like sports. You know what that is? That's inconsistency. Because we come to a church and we know what's right and my God is supposed to have, have the preeminence and what, what we do, we start teaching our children it's okay to skip church on Sunday night because of some ball game. That's inconsistency. We know it's not right, but we do it anyway because it's convenient. I've watched people, because a family comes into town, or because of this thing, or because of that thing. I've watched moms and dads work on Sundays because the money's good. It's not worth it. You're going to lose your kids. It's not worth it. Inconsistency does not produce consistency. Didn't work for Solomon. All those years he, he, he built his kingdom. All those years he sought after what could advance his kingdom and help him and all that wisdom and all that. And the next generation it was gone. His line. I mean it wasn't completely gone but he had one tribe left. Judah. All that work he did. But he lived an inconsistent life. Mom and dad. Grandma and grandpa. It's easy for us to talk the talk. This, I, you know why the Lord has me preach messages like this? Because it's convicting to me. Because I need it. Yeah, Pastor John can preach all this stuff, but I wonder what it's like in his house. And sometimes I blow it. And I have to go to my kids and show them that I'm, I've got to be humble and I've got to ask for forgiveness. Yes? This morning, I was praying to the Lord and confessing some sin because I'm a sinner. And I was doing it right there next to Jethro, my son. You know why? Because I'm trying to teach him. It's what a man needs to do. Humble himself before God. And when it's wrong, get right. Inconsistency does not produce consistency. Inconsistency is, is fake. Many of you have seen fake Christianity before. And you don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want to hear somebody preaching the word without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's all flesh. It's all fake. We need balance. God's given us a lot of hats to wear. A lot of things to do. And we have to wear it with balance and be consistent through all of that. Yes, there's times when I have to choose my family over the ministry. Yes, my family's important. But I don't throw God out the window. I don't teach my family that, that God just can, can just wait a little while because this is family time. No, God comes first. Sometimes we as adults, we're teaching our children, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and we need to do right. But moms and dads, we got this one thing we're holding on to. This one thing. Well, dad just likes this and this is his thing and so it's okay in this one situation. You know what that teaches? 
That your children, it's okay, well, whatever they like, they can chase after. Come on, moms and dads. Whether it be the television, or whether it be the drink, or whether, whether it be something we're looking at on the computer, or our phones, or what it might be, well, this, this, that's just dad's one thing. Yeah, it's teaching my kids to be inconsistent. Dad can hold on to his one thing, so what, what can I do? Lord, help us. We need consistency. We need consistency. Let's bow together. Lord, help us this morning. Lord, whether the pastor up here, Lord, or the, or the church member in the pew, or, or staff members, or deacons, or whoever it might be, Lord, help us, please, this morning to determine that I'm going to live a consistent life because I'm influencing so many other people. As the pastor up here behind the pulpit, Lord, you've given me a flock to influence. You've given me a family to influence. You've given me this person and that person and friends and people in ministry to influence. And God, may I be do right before You because I love You and I want to serve You and that influence would be what you want to develop as I point folks to you. Help us, Lord, please. Think about moms and dads in here that might be slipping in this area or that area. Lord, help us to redetermine that we're going to teach what is right and what is true, no matter what. Even when it's a little bit inconvenient. Even when the money's good. Even when this thing's going on or that thing's going on. Lord, help us to be consistent. Lord, I pray this morning there's somebody here today that doesn't know about all this. They, they're unsure of their salvation. They don't, they don't, they're not even a child of God. How can they walk a consistent life in the Word of God? They're not even a child of God. And I pray, and perhaps there's somebody here today that says, I want to go to heaven. I want to be a child of God. I want to do right. I want to follow the Lord. I want to be adopted into the family of God, but I don't know how. Lord, I pray that this invitation time they would certainly understand that they are invited to come get, Lord, get saved this morning. Receive that gift of salvation, that free gift that You have given us. Lord, it's called a, a, a new life, a new birth. You must be born again. And then, Lord, the message, the main theme of the message, Lord, a development of that life, Lord, when we begin to walk and do what is right beyond salvation. I pray, Lord, You'd help us all this morning. Please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.